Morning, everyone. Um, hey, these are both great classes. I just want to draw a little distinction for you. Alpha is really designed for someone who's seeking a relationship with God and they're not really sure they have one yet. Or someone who has, maybe has come to know Jesus, but has some deep questions about issues like, why do we as Christians believe the Bible? Alpha answers that question. Alpha answers the questions about prayer. Why do we believe in prayer? What is prayer and how can I pray? Alpha answers questions about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What's the Trinity? And so just all these foundational truths. If if you have questions like that, Alpha is the place to begin. Or if you're just seeking a relationship with God, Alpha is the place to begin, and it will rock your life. It'll change your world. Now, Sockham is of a different nature. Sockham is for someone who has uh, known Jesus, who has these foundational issues pretty much settled in their life, but they just want to go deeper. And in and, and Sockham, as Wilson said, we really believe we're training up a, a, a generation, a, a whole body of leaders that are going to be equipped to hear God speak, to understand prophetic ministry, to understand Holy Spirit ministry, and, and how that can, how powerful it can be. So both of them are fantastic courses. Uh, both of them will draw you deeper into the heart and life of this church body, and whichever one's right for you, I just, I encourage you to do it. And, and by the way, Sockham is a nine-month commitment, but um, it's fun. It's a blast. Every night goes by really fast. There's no night of Sockham that drags or is boring, and by the end of those nine months, nobody wants it to end. Can you, can you agree with me on that, those of you who've taken it? You don't want it to end. Okay, thank you for those three, three people who agreed with me. All right, well, hey, it's awesome to be here with you today. Um, before we go any further, I have a couple short stories for you. This man goes into a restaurant. On the way in, he did what I often do. I look at what other people are eating to see what looks good. He sat down and he said to the waiter, he said, I'd like to just give me what that lady's eating. The waiter had a confused look on his face and he said, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm pretty sure she wants to eat that herself. (laughs) All right, if nothing else, you get to laugh at me when I tell you these stupid jokes, okay? All right, so uh, this, this young woman said, I have two elderly aunts, and every time there's a wedding in the family, they tease me by asking me, Sally, are you going to be next? I ended that whole thing when we attended a funeral together and asked them the same question. All right. How many of you heard Luke's message last week? I just want to say, if you didn't, go back and listen to it. It was fantastic. It really completed the, the whole picture of our relationship to government in, in, in a really, really good way. There were some profound points that he made. So if you happened to miss last week, I'd encourage you to go onto our podcast and listen to Luke's message. Now, today we're going to go into Romans 13, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right into that. Father, uh, we come before you, and just as we've just sung, we are amazed at your goodness. We're we're amazed that you, you gave of your very heart, you gave your son, Father, for us, because you wanted us to be sons and daughters. 
And so we're here right now. We want to learn from you. Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to live your life. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here not only to teach us, but to empower us to live like Jesus from this new creation heart that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start by reading the verses. I'm reading them from the ESV, the um, English Standard Version. So it starts off like this. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So he starts off with this short statement. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What, he's just, um, what has just happened prior to this, the Apostle Paul ended the previous passage by saying, pay your taxes and anything else you owe the government. Not only pay your income taxes, but also if they ask you to pay a toll to drive down this certain road, pay the toll on that road. If they say you have to pay for your license plates, pay for your license plates. If there's a fee to get your driver's license, pay that fee. He's saying, pay what is, what is right. And then he comes and he, he kind of shifts from this civic duty type of mindset to a more personal and relational type of mindset. And then he says here, in fact, don't owe anyone anything. Now, some people take that to mean never go into debt. I don't think he's saying that. That's not the emphasis in this passage. There are other places in the Bible that talk about debt. But here, what he's saying is pay your bills. If you have a house payment, make it on time. If you buy a car and you have car payments, uh, not always a good idea. But if you do, make them on time. Make your payments. Because he says there's only one debt that is an ongoing debt that you can never totally fulfill. All these other debts we can make our payments on, we can pay them, but this one debt you can never totally fulfill, and that is the debt we have to love other people, to love others. You see, God gave us his love. He poured his love into us. It says in Romans 5, 8, that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into us. And you know, God never does anything in us that he doesn't want to do through us. The very beginning when God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. Blessed to bless. So any blessing God gives to us, he wants to flow through us. So he pours his love into us, not so that we can just enjoy his love, but so that we can allow it to flow through us and pour out his love to bless others. So some people would, would try to wiggle out of this would say, well, I'm not a very loving person, or I can't love other people. I can't love that person anyway because of the way they've hurt me. I, I heard a story once of a pastor who was doing some marriage counseling with a couple. And I, I think this, this story kind of answers this question. He said to the couple, he said, well, you, you need to love, love each other as husband and wife. And they both looked at each other and said, we can't do that. Our love's dead. Our love's gone. And so the pastor said, well, okay then you need to love each other as a brother and a sister in Christ. You can start there. And, they, and the, the wife says, I'm not even sure he is a Christian after what he's done to me. And he's, he, he retorts the same thing about her. So the pastor says, well, okay, then maybe you just need to love each other just like you love any other human being. 
You know, because God loves the whole world. So just start at that level, loving each other, human being to human being. And they both said, well, we're so deeply hurt. She's done so much to me. He's done so much to me. I can't even love her as a human being. So the pastor says, well, then there's only one thing left. You have to love each other as enemies. See, you can't get out of this. There's no wiggle room in this whole thing. We've got to love other people, no matter what they've done. No matter who they are, God calls us to love them. Now, Jesus said that there are two great commandments. He said, love God with all your heart and love others like you love yourself. So this whole thing of God's commandments in the Bible, they are not, they are not intended to be a burden to us. It's not like God's just saying, well, the world's in such a mess, I've got to lay down some rules to try to get control of the whole thing. They're not, they're not intended to be a burden to us. They're, in t- they're, they're all related to relationship. That's why he says, if you fulfill these, if you love your neighbor, you've fulfilled the law. You've fulfilled the commandments because all the commandments are related to one of two things, either how I relate to God or how I relate to people. And all it is, is God telling us how he created us to live. He's not like throwing down miscellaneous rules just to try to take away our freedom or to oppress us. He's showing us the path to freedom. And freedom is when you get to be everything you were created to be. That's what freedom is. And and so when we think of the commands, we have to, the commands of God, we have to understand that freedom comes when, when we recognize that God is the one who created us and he's the one who knows what is the best way for us to live so that we can live in freedom. It's, it's not a burden. When you look at it this way, it's more like, let's say, the best recipe for your favorite pie. Okay, my mother makes a, a, a peach custard pie that is unbelievable. Now, if she was here serving it to us, she would put it out and she'd say, oh, this pie didn't turn out right. The crust is soggy, and I don't know if the peaches are going to taste right. They were old, and I think I put too much sugar in it, and on and on she's going to go. And then you're going to taste it. You're going to say, I feel like I just died and went to heaven. It is so good, so good. Now, if you wanted her to show you how to make that pie, and she's, she's showing you how. She's saying, okay, I think you probably put flour in the crust. You put a cup of flour in for the crust, and you say, oh, wait a second. Don't try to control me. Who are you to boss me around? Don't try to tell me how to, how to make a pie. I want to put two cups of flour in. She says, okay, you put half a cup of sugar in. No, no, no. Wait a second. What are you doing trying to boss me around? I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to put salt in instead of sugar. What, what happens is you end up with a really crappy pie. You really do. Have you ever eaten a really bad pie? When I was 21... Uh, my uncle and I went to um, a Christmas Eve service at the little Baptist church that I had grown up attending and he grew up in also. And uh, after the Christmas, it was a nice service. After the service, there was a social time in the back. And we went back and someone had put out a butterscotch pie, or at least it looked like a butterscotch pie. And I thought, boy, does that look good. I took a piece, he took a piece, we went and sat down. We each took a bite and looked at each other and it was just Unbelievable. It was the worst thing I have ever put in my mouth. I mean, I can't think of anything worse other than eating live spiders, maybe. And it was horrible. I, it, 
whoever made that pie just used all flour. It would, all it was was flour paste with a little bit of food coloring in it that made it look kind of like orangey, so like butterscotch should look. We couldn't swallow it. I had to bend over, pretend I was tying my shoe and spit it out into a napkin and then put the napkin in my pocket. And then for all I know, the person who made the pie sitting right across from me, so I just kind of played with the pie for 10 minutes and cut pieces up and moved them around. And then when I felt like it was appropriate, I got up and walked over and discreetly dropped it into a waste container. Now, I'm pretty sure I know what happened. Um, It was probably one of the elderly people in the church who forgot that they already put the flour in two or three times. They forgot that, and they forgot the sugar and everything else, but it was bad pie. Look, if you want good pie, you have to follow the recipe. You don't get to do whatever you want to do just because you're going to exert your freedom. You have to follow the recipe, and if you want a good life, If you want a life where you get to love God, be loved by God, love the people around you, and have them love you too, generally, then you have to admit that you have to trust God enough to do it his way. And realize that's what freedom is. And that's what enables me then to love others. So... Fear is the thing that, 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 um, that uh, scuttles this because, you know, I know a way I've learned how to do life. It's probably, some of it might be good, some of it might be bad, but I've learned that and I've survived so far and you're, asking, you're telling me to forgive that person. Well, if I forgive them, it's like letting them get away with it. And then do you mean I have to talk to them again? Well, they're going to do that to me again. And so there's fear of changing my life patterns, but It's experiencing God's love that frees me from that fear because the Bible says that love overcomes fear. And so when I experience God's love, then I know how much he loves me and I know how much I can trust him. And I don't have to be afraid any longer. And that's what frees me then not only to receive his love, but to walk in his love, which means to walk in his commandments. And and you know, part of this whole thing is that you get a new heart when you receive Jesus into your life. And in 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, he said, God himself has taught you how to love. You don't need anyone to teach you because you know because you're a born-again person. You have a new heart. Now, that doesn't mean that we never need to read Scripture and that we're not going to learn how to love better. But as a person with a new heart, my inclination is to love. And so when we recognize that, and then we recognize that this whole thing of God's commandments is not a burden, it's all relationship, and he's just showing us how to have the best relationships possible with people, then we can become free to take steps that direction. But uh, verse 9, the next verse, he says this. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. These commandments, he said, he, he's outlining some of the commandments, and the ones he's quoting all relate to human relationships. They all relate to how you and I relate to each other. Later, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. So we can ask the question, does adultery do wrong to my neighbor? 
Yes, it does. It, dam- it, it robs my neighbor of something and damages their marriage. Murder obviously does harm to the neighbor. Stealing does harm to the neighbor's property. When I covet what my neighbor has, what that does is it shuts something off in my heart to them. And so I can't have an open heart towards them. And so it damages my relationship with them. And so when, when he speaks this way, what he's doing is describing love as action. Love is always going to be manifest in action, in kind-hearted, benevolent, self-sacrificing action. And I want to say this. We run across people periodically who have had uh, relationships that have not worked. And, and they were abusive relationships. And this can be a woman being abused by a man. Uh, it can be a man being abused by a woman. There's physical abuse. There's verbal abuse and, and other types of things that, that happen. But l- let me just put it this way. If the guy you're dating hits you and then he's so sorry later. And he's, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I love you. I can't live without you. And you forgive him. And then he hits you again, and he's so repentant and so sorry. And that goes on and on and on. That is not love. I don't care what he says. And guys, if that's how you're treating the lady in your life, you're not loving her. You're not loving her. Love is going to be seen, and I'm not saying that no one ever makes mistakes, but when it's a life pattern, love is seen in a pattern, a life pattern of kind-hearted, compassionate, serving, self-sacrificing for the sake of the other. Now, the next verse, this is verse 9 and part B, the last half of the verse that we just have up there right now. Next verse starts off by saying, and any other commandment. All right. And any other commandment, he says, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Very simple, simply put, not going to get into any of the psychological stuff about this that you know, people talk about, but uh, basically the way he's looking at this, everybody loves themselves. Even the person that has a horrible self-image loves himself and is doing the thing that they think is best for themselves at the time, all right? So, uh, and, and I'm not saying that there's nothing to the idea that if you don't, if you aren't happy with yourself then you're not going to be able to love others. That's, that's really the truth. I just don't think that's what this means. But here we go. If you don't want it done to you, don't do it to them. That's what he's saying. If you don't want it done to you, don't do it to them. Gossip, you want to be gossiped about, you want to be ridiculed, you want to be lied about, lied to, you want to have, have people steal from you, all these things, then don't do it to them. And and this, on the other side, if you do want it from others, then give it to them. If I want kindness and serving and listening and compassion and mercy and faithfulness and care, concern from others, then I need to give it away to them. See, when you have that type of loving heart, you almost operate automatically in in the commands of Scripture. And there would just be an intuitive sense, I can't do this to my neighbor. That would be unloving. And so that's why he says we've fulfilled the commands. Well, the next verse, verse 10, he says this, and he concludes this with this. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, if you're asking yourself the question, who is my neighbor, I have an answer for you. 
because it was a time Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone said, "Uh, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus then told a parable. This is where the parable of the Good Samaritan comes in. Story about a man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead alongside a road. Two religious leaders of the Jews walked past. They went on the other side of the road, stayed as far away from him as they could, gave him no assistance, no help, no aid. And then along comes a Samaritan. And the key thing about that is the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They looked down on them. They thought they were lower class. But this Samaritan, with compassion, stops and takes care of this guy and binds up his wounds and puts him on his own donkey and takes him to an inn and pays for his recovery. And so what Jesus is telling us is this. My neighbor is the person that in need that God brings across my path. That's who my neighbor is. My neighbor is the person in need that God brings across my path. And so we, we do wrong in, in a couple of ways. In this way, it is failing to do what we could do to help someone. And in, in the other way, it is doing something actively that brings harm to the other person. In 1 John three seventeen, it's a really cool verse. He says, whoever has the means to help a brother in need, but closes his heart to him, how can you say the love of God is in him? But notice here, he says, it closes his heart to him. He doesn't say closes his wallet. Closes his heart to him. And so there's a heart decision made not to reach out, to open my heart to this person, to feel their pain, and to just do what I can. And by that, I don't mean taking up responsibility for another person's life. They're responsible for their own life, for their own choices, but, uh, but, but to have compassion, to step in, open my heart up, and do what I can. So I want to end our whole message. I'm going to take the next, um, oh, probably 10 minutes to do this, but I want to ask this question, what is love? What is love? I think there's a lot of confusion around what love is, misunderstood in our culture today. I want to give you this. This, this, this uh, next slide, here we go. It says, love is a heart commitment to the welfare of another. Okay, it's a heart commitment to the welfare of another. And I want to expand that, and I want to say godly love is a heart commitment to the welfare of another within the framework of truth and wisdom. It's not godly love to give someone money to buy their, their next fix because they're in so much pain right now and, and they're in agony and they're crying out to you, if you loved me, you would give me the money to, to, that I need. That, that's, that's not love because that's not within the boundaries of truth and wisdom. And there's actually a verse that uh, teaches this. Philippians 1.9. Philippians 1.9 presents... Um, Truth and wisdom as like the banks of a river. Think of it in that way. The banks of a river. As long as the banks of the river contain the water, the water is a beautiful and powerful force for good. When the water overruns the banks of the river, then then water becomes a horrible and destructive thing. And so he says this in this verse. He said, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all wisdom so that you can discern the things that are the very best. Discern the things that are best. To love well, I have to live my life within the framework of God's truth and exercising Holy Spirit-given insight, wisdom, and discernment. Now, 
The next slide says, I, I have a couple of comments I want to just read to you. Next slide, love is a commitment. Okay, there we go. All right, love is a commitment. So where does the commitment come from? Commitment can come from one of two places, maybe more, but as I see it, this, all right? It can come from feeling or it can come from decision. The commitment can arise out of she's so good looking, she kisses really well, she's a good cook, she's funny, she laughs at my stupid jokes, and I just love her. I want to be with her for the rest of my life. That's, that's a feeling. That, that's all feeling stuff that, that rises up. And so much in our culture, that's where everything begins. But the other end of it is decision. And the decision is, I'm going to commit myself to this person in friendship. And, and until something happens in this, I'm talking about a friend-to-friend relationship here. Until something happens, they move away halfway around the world or whatever, I'm, I'm their committed friend. Or in marriage, I'm committing myself to this person. And, and, and I, I am forming a covenant with them that I'm going to be married to them. And so there's a commitment that is made. Now, here's, here's uh, the next thought. Of affection, well, here's, here's the next slide, slide 10. Next slide, all right. If a relationship starts with feeling or affection, then it must move toward and be complemented by decision in order to last. You get that? If it starts with feeling, it's got to move in the direction of concrete, real, decisive commitment out of decision, not just emotion. This is why so many times people say, well, we just don't love each other anymore. And in the illustration I gave earlier, we just don't love each other anymore. And, and they, they believe then the commitment ends because the emotion has fallen. And I mean, the truth is that we all, we all have our ups and downs emotionally. And there are times when you're just madly in love with your spouse and other times when you look at them and think, well, okay, yep, I, I'm committed here and we have a good life together and I'm happy. But, um, but, but it... it for some, it, it just becomes a long-term thing that, that there's no emotional love and, and there's not enough of a commitment there to sustain it, to work through it, so the emotional love comes back. Because the two work off of each other. They play off of each other. You don't want, I mean, I would not want a marriage that is just based on raw, hard, core commitment and nothing else. You want the emotion in it. God wants there to be emotion and passion and joy in the relationship. What I'm trying to do here is not define every relationship or, or have you go away saying, oh, well, Van said, therefore, this person made... No, I'm not trying to... I, none of us know an individual's life circumstances. None of us can ever look at another person and say, well, yeah, you were wrong because Van said this and you did that. I'm not trying to go there with this, okay? I'm just trying to help us to understand kind of a background of, of love. So affection might kick the relationship off, but only decision produces perseverance. That's my point, okay? And, and some people persevere and persevere and persevere and persevere, and finally, the, the whole marriage just ends. But they've persevered. They've persevered. And, there's, and you, can't, you can't account for what the other person does in the relationship. And so here, slide 11. I said, decision is foundational because it's rooted in character. 
Emotion or feeling is secondary because it's founded in emotion. Feeling is secondary because it's founded in emotion. And again, I believe the two feed off other, each other when you have two people who are committed to, uh, to a relationship. Now, slide 12. So love is a commitment to another person that arises out of both decision and feeling which feed off each other to produce a healthy focus on the other's welfare. Okay, it's a healthy focus on the other's welfare that is produced. So when commitment, um, in the final slide there, when commitment from feeling and decision are in healthy order or balance, love looks a lot like this. Compassion, a desire to be with the person, a desire to know the person, a desire to reveal yourself, joy in the other person's joy. It's joyful sacrifice on my part. Uh, The other's welfare over my own and God's best for both of us, God's best for you and me. And then some other things that I didn't put on the slide, it also looks like perseverance because it's hard. Any relationship, friendship, marriage, whatever it is, you you hit rough points, it takes perseverance. It takes working through the problems, if at all possible. And Wilson preached a message recently where uh, the Apostle Paul said, be at peace with all men as much as is possible for you. So I can only do what I can do on my end. Remembering their good qualities, humbling myself, forgiving easily. These are all things that uh, love looks like when it's balanced. But love has boundaries, all right? Love has boundaries. So in the marriage relationship, I would say it has the fewest boundaries because there's the greatest intimacy, the greatest closeness, the greatest sharing is God's intent in marriage, greatest trust, the greatest giving of ourselves is intended to be in marriage, but there are boundaries. I won't lie to your boss for you. I won't lie to your mother for you. We're not gonna share our bed, of course not. You can't yell at me all the time. I know once in a while we have a fight, but it seems like last month you've yelled at me almost every day, that's got to stop. That's a boundary. You can't abuse me physically or our children physically. Many, many years ago, 35 years ago, Lori and I in another time, another ministry, had a lady from our church come in and say that her husband was abusing their son and that that morning he had kicked their son in the, in the behind hard enough to, to knock him down. And uh, seeing it as a pattern uh, and knowing this, this woman, knowing her character, we said, all right, let's go talk to a lawyer. We went to talk to a lawyer. The lawyer said, okay, let's hold him accountable for this. She didn't want to divorce him. And so let's hold him accountable for it. And so they filed a, a restraint, a, filing, a, a restraining order. So that night when the guy came home, there was a state trooper there who met him and said, pack your bags. You don't live here anymore for a while. So this guy goes then before a judge. And of all things, judge said, you have to go to counseling. Who do you want to go to counseling for? And he said he wanted me to counsel him, which was shocking to me because I was the one who motivated his wife to get the state trooper there to tell him it was time to be accountable. And I wish I could tell you that story ended with him becoming a Christian. It ended with him seeing God work in some real clear ways and their relationship dramatically improved. But sometimes accountability is just a thing that has to be brought in. And, and the civil authorities there sometimes are there for that. 
Now, it, I don't want to encourage you to do that flippantly or quickly because in these days, any, that was 35 years ago, in these days, anything like that happens. You can, you can uh, lose all of, all of your authority over your children because of something like this. Be taken away, your children be taken away from you. But I just want to say that there are times, there's an illustration from a time gone past, in the past that you do have to just step up and say, hey, there's accountability here in this relationship. Now, parent love to child. The parent says, I'll give you my life. I will give my life for you, child, but you do have a bedtime. Okay, and you can't eat cereal all the time. You have to eat vegetables too. You can't do that. You have to do this. And as hard as that is, there have to be limits with our kids. But here's the key thing I found over the years in raising four kids. The most important thing is loving limits and heart connection. If all you have are limits, but you, may, but you don't maintain heart-to-heart connection because you hammer them over the limits, you reject, you, you, you shame them because they, they break the limits. If, if that's all you have, then you're probably gonna produce rebellion. But if you have a heart-to-heart connection, what I've seen is the kids end up like you because your heart bleeds into their heart. And so there have to be limits, and and for the parent, it is loving them, maintaining heart-to-heart connection, but with boundaries, with increasing freedom as they age, as they grow. Now, child-to-parent, honor and respect. But at some point in time, if this, this happens, mom, I'm 28 years old, I'm an engineer at GE, I can decide where to live myself. You've given me your input, all right, thank you, I have heard it. And I'm going to make the decision. So family, family, uh, commitment, love, relationship, we're there for you. I'm going to stay in touch with you. We live in different states, but I, but I want to let you know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I care about you. But sometimes it looks like this. Sorry, mom and dad, we're spending Christmas with my wife or my husband's family this year. And, and, and you don't give in to any intimidation or, or pressure over something like that. Or, sorry kids, mom and I are going away on our own this weekend. You don't get to come. Okay, there, there have to be boundaries. Um, friendship love. You know, what level of friendship and intimacy are we at? I like to draw a circle and have a one, two, three, four. And where do I put that person? Well, if they're in circle five, I'm not going to expect the same things out of them that I would expect out of someone in circle two if they're, or, or, or circle three or circle one. And so, you know, what are, what are the expectations and then openness and support within that framework? Now, compassionate love, and I say that that's just like for any, any person out there you encounter in life. Sometimes it looks like Hey, you take this parking space. I'll drive to the back of the lot. I need the exercise anyway. Give them the spot. Sometimes it looks like um, you can't pay for your groceries. Let me help you. I get some extra money here. Let me help you pay for your groceries. Or, or it, might, it might look like uh, helping a neighbor who is struggling with something and you see them loading something into their car and you run over to help them. Now, what it doesn't look like is being taken advantage of by people it doesn't look like, well, let's put it this way. Okay, I've given you money the last two weeks in a row. You came and you asked and I gave you money. I can't give you money anymore because I can't take responsibility for your life. Okay, you're responsible for your life, not me. 
And so there have to be boundaries, even, even when compassion comes into it. And then enemy love, um, I'll bless you as I'm able. I, I'll speak well of you as I can. I won't spread negative stuff about you unless I see you hurting someone else, and I'll warn them. Paul did that in the Bible. I'm here when you want to, want to reconcile. And so love applies all across the board in our lives in so many different ways, but it really, it comes down to us receiving and experiencing God's love in our hearts, not having a list of things that we want to try to do, you know, rules that we're trying to obey, but allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and then allowing his love to flow through us towards others. So I'm going to pray, and um, then uh, Wilson's going to come back up here in a moment. We're going to conclude our service. You want to stand with me? Father, we're so thankful for your incredible, unbelievable love for us. You pour your love out on us. It's an unending love. And it will always do the best for us. And it won't allow, it won't allow us to just walk away without correction from your, your heart of love. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you, pour the love of the Father into our hearts and our lives. Just pour your love out into us so that we can love others well. In Jesus' name, amen.